minority. We can beat them. We have to say, I'm not a Nazi, though. <laughs> Two-thirds of the country just don't want to be political. It's not politics to say you're not a Nazi. It's like taking a shit. You just do it. Or you explode. You die if you don't shit. And you die if you don't say you're not a Nazi. Fascism is a fucking cancer. It will eat your country unless your country kills it. Here's what happens when you get cancer. Nothing good. Nothing. There is no way out of it. I'm your country's doctor. You've got cancer. You have fascism. You are going to suffer. You are going to fight. You are going to feel pain. You are not getting out of this. We have fascism. It is happening. We're fucking dead, maybe. Or, or maybe they're dead. That's about it. It's not a continuum. There's no gray area. It's not a fad. Fascism doesn't pop up and then recede when it finds out no one's into it. It doesn't respond to love. It doesn't respond to hate. It doesn't respond to ignoring it. It doesn't respond to timeouts. It doesn't respond to attention. It doesn't respond to lack of attention. You stab it. You cut it out. You bombard it with poison. Or you die. And in any case, you will probably die. Don't die talking to cancer. Don't die hanging out with it. Don't die arguing with it on Twitter. It's fucking fascism. Enough. Team up. Stop bitching about Bernie Sanders. I don't care what flavor you want your democracy to be. It's democracy versus motherfucking fascism. Welcome to another episode of the Fort Worth Freedom Review. We are a show about local politics that aims to get more people engaged in local issues. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Anthony Sosa, and I'm here today with Thomas Moore to break down the results of this past week's election. Um, got a lot to say on this one. Just kind of a long one this time. Um, not going to do much of a preamble. We'll just kind of get into it. C Thomas kind of starts off immediately, just start just running with it. So what, what, after the little break music thingy, you get you buckle up buttercup. Uh, I'm also not going to edit the profanity out of this one because there's too much. It would probably take me multiple hours. Um, so I'm just not, I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. I'll just put this one up as explicit. So, uh, without further ado, this podcast is made possible by the Justice Reform League, a Fort Worth-based nonprofit. You can sign up for our Substack at our website, justicereformleague.net, where we will occasionally post op-ed type articles, which I'd like to get one out later this week. Um, if you would like to submit something to the Substack or have any ideas for episodes or any additional stories you'd like us to cover, contact us on Twitter at FWReview. Twitter. Haha, -ha, Twitter. I could say stuff, but I'm not going to. On Instagram at Fort Worth Freedom Review. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you can send us a Gmail 
at our Gmail, fwfreedomreview at gmail.com. As always, with every episode, all of the resources that are used, and there are many this time, uh, are provided below in the show notes. Please check those out. Please read the articles done. Uh, done. The articles written by our local journalists and local publications, the Fort Worth Weekly, the Fort Worth Report, the Texas Tribune. Uh, all of these are trustworthy news organizations. Please support them. Uh, and uh, yeah, here we go. I am now. Awesome. The honor, honorable Mark Timothy Pittman can go fuck himself. <laughs> like, throw tomatoes at this guy in the fucking street. Um, if he eats at your restaurant, just pl- just you know, less than politely tell him to leave. Um, so the honorable- I hope that this man never has a pleasant day for the rest of his life. So who are we talking about? I missed it. I'm sorry. The Honorable Mark Timothy Pittman, the Vice President of the Tarrant County uh, Federalist Society, and the motherfucker who blocked the, uh, who's currently blocked the Student Loan Forgiveness Program by President Biden. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that dude. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. Yeah, so, specifically, fuck that guy. Federalist Society. Also, um, Nevada, you need to get your shit together, um, because this is the second, you know, major election we've ha- had where everyone's going through all the stress and whatnot. Just because you're taking forever and a day to report your votes. This is normal, though. I mean, we should. I think this is, you know, this is what they do. They they just they go about it really slowly and carefully. Listen, it's not as it's not as bad as last time where it gave people enough time to stage a fucking coup you know and it, it 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 made people think people were cheating or not but still it's that's a lot of stress man that's a shit ton of stress i mean we, yeah. it's- all they like and here's the thing like there are ways to get around that where you count count the votes as they go where you fucking you know make sure you have your shit down like not not to brag about texas on anything but they're pretty good at reporting yeah, you know. I mean, we're quick about it. I mean, I think it's also because the the math is a lot easier for our state because like most of our precincts or counties like lean heavily one way or the other. Yeah, uh, and so it's it's kind of easy to tell. Like, oh, okay, once we got fifty or sixty percent, and like we already know how it's going to end up, um, just based on the math because it's easy math. And I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I don't know anything about Nevada's procedures, but yeah, I mean, we 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 do get for better or worse. I don't know. We do get that information quicker here in t- in Texas. Yeah, man, like, I don't know. That's that's something I kind of want to talk about. So, like, I guess to frame the conversation, uh, I'd like for us to, like, talk about the results, which are bad, if we don't know yet. Right. And, and, and like, look at the data. I have some data that I had access to, which I'm excited to share. Uh, and then we can talk about why was it bad? Why were the results this way? There's a bunch of reasons. Um, and then like, what can we do now or what should be things that we should be thinking about or doing now for the next two years or really a few months because we have an election in May, um, you know, that sort of thing. But before we get into our results here in Texas, like I, I do want to talk about kind of the national, uh, 
perspective. And so like, and I know, I know you're really into that. I'm into it too. Um, so what, so where was the red wave? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Um, here's what happened. Um, this is not just the Republican party having a civil war and people not interested in them. Uh, I'll be straight up. There was some democratic fuckery and it, it paid off beautifully because what happened was if you go back to the primaries uh, in a lot of these cases, the Republican party did not end up getting the representatives they wanted. The Republican party, you know, the way they, they primary their caucuses out, it's whoever's the most popular. They they don't do a delicate system, like uh, a delicate system, like the Democrats do. Mm. So Democrats, took advantage of that and what they did and this is what, kind of what pissed me off because they were playing they were definitely playing with fire here is they took the candidates that were easiest to beat who happened to be the most trump-esque election denying the most alexa off <laughs> Who, uh, oh my God, I'm going to murder Alexa. Anyways, um, they picked the most Trump, Trumpian, you know, America first, uh, basically dumb fascists that, uh, cosplay trades that they could find. Yeah. And they funded them and they made sure they won their primaries. And in most places, that's what happened. And then what would happen is McConnell would try to like be like, would try to pick good candidates that probably would have won. And Trump was like, nah. And that's one of the reasons why you saw Trump bash McConnell in the in the press again mm-hmm. was because that shit was happening behind the scenes. Going back and forth. Um yeah, and Charles Sh- and Chuck Schumer is over over there laughing his ass off. Um Luckily, they didn't win because if they'd win, that would have like blown up in our faces. Yeah. So I mean, but, this is uh, your well, your Herschel Walkers, your Doctor Oz's, your those uh, are the mild ones, bro. Like you had okay, like straight okay. up election den- den- deniers and shit getting their ass kicked. Like uh, your Blake Masters, that dude's getting la- nailed. Did so I did Bobert win or lose i never heard it i remember last i saw it was like she was like 60 or 70 votes behind but that was a few days ago she barely pu- she's barely pulling ahead oh she uh, oh, are they done counting yet or yeah okay. no it looks like i'm looking at it right now um because she has a small smallest di- district um she's at 50.2 percent okay and adam fresh the democratic nominee is that 49.8 percent mm-hmm. and we're looking at a thousand and some change. Okay, well, so that's actually pulling ahead. Last time I saw, she was back. Yeah, back sixty or seventy votes. Yeah, so no, she was behind behind a little bit. But I knew I knew this was going to happen because they hadn't counted the uh, military votes yet. And with the exception of twenty twenty two, the military. I mean, twenty twenty, the military usually swings red. Yeah, for whatever stupid ass reason. Interesting. Okay, so she might pull it out, but I mean that I think like the the perception was that these, you know, I I don't 
I, I wanted to say crazies, but that's like disrespectful, I think, to 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 people struggling with mental health. Like that's not, these people are, are are you know these people are doing bad things, uh, and I don't want to. Well, call you them, know, there's you the know. difference between mental illness and craziness, right? Like sure. you can call these people crazies. A lot of these people are neurotypical. They should know better. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, yeah. I just I don't know I I don't want to I don't want to stigmatize crazy people by uh-huh. <laughs> by doing this they don't they don't, they don't deserve this this is this is something worse these are people who are enacting policies that are harmful to people um, and stand for things that are harmful to not only people but also like our country and institutions if that's something you care about um, and so you know like I if you I, care about the state of our democracy you might be interested yeah oh so Thomas I I picked a a, a Dan Harmon rant about fascism to open the podcast with i'll have to play it for you when we're done so because our it's it's already weird, yeah, weird i think it. i think i've heard it that's that's the dude from uh rick and morty right yeah so you may have it it definitely made oh yes i've heard that and it's fucking terrific <laughs> so okay i mean like so it looked like these people were gaining you know power gaining momentum but yeah like across the board all of the people that were backed by trump like didn't didn't get it um unless, yeah. unless Bobert pulls this one out she would be i guess the, the exception i guess marjorie taylor green actually she 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 re, uh, won her seat too but uh senate like we said we maintained the senate which was we didn't think that was gonna happen now like four or five months ago it was like a sheer shot we were gonna keep the senate but as the you know we got closer and closer to election day those numbers pretty much flipped and it looked like we were gonna lose both the house and the senate and like Here's yeah. I want to frame this historically. Like, if you're an older listener, if you've been participating in politics, or if you know, or even just listening for a while, you probably already know this. But if you're a newer listener, or if we're newer to, to to voting and participating in this stuff, this is like what happens every midterm election after a new president. And you can go back decades and decades, and this is the same thing that happens. Whenever uh, Bill Clinton was elected in '92, in '94, the Republicans take the House and the Senate. Like, there's always a backlash to the party in power. Uh, Bush is the exception, Bush 2, Bush W in 2000 because of 9-11. So in 2002, there wasn't a backlash because we had, you know, in September 2001, we had what we had. So that's like the exception. But then when you get an Obama, we have a backlash in 2010. This is your Tea Party Republicans. Uh, When Trump got in office, you know, he lost the House and the Senate. Um, And so, or I guess that he lost the House, didn't quite lose the Senate. And that's one thing I wish I had the data pulled up now that I'm talking about it. I saw a graph recently and like that margin has been getting smaller ever yeah. since kind of, you know, Bush one and Reagan, like, um, it used to be a pretty big flip back and forth. Like the pendulum would swing harder. And as we've been getting closer yeah. to now, it's been a smaller and smaller swing. And in now for a bunch of different reasons, but like we're seeing that where it didn't really swing. Like it did a little bit. We lost the house. And that's to be expected because there's so many more seats in it. They're two years terms. It's just a much bigger body. But the Senate, like, that's actually kind of kind of crazy. If um, if the Democrats won, the I, I think I think this is the statistic I read. If Warnock wins, this will be the first time in like a hundred years where the Democrats have kept all the seats with incumbents. Yeah, that's it's pretty crazy. And so, like, I don't know. I was demoralized when election day came around and here in texas like we lost every nearly everything which we're going to go over here in yeah. a second um but like the you know this is i think again example of like that the previous the bonus episode i released last week of ashley woodard henderson talking about the south and the south uh, having a unique situation 
you know, needing unique, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, things to do, ideas, concepts to deal with, to attack these things down here that are different than what, you know, the coast are saying or doing. Uh, I think Texas and our results is kind of an example of that where it's like, yeah, we're, we've got different stuff going on over here and we can talk about Beto's messaging and stuff and how, Hey, this kind of looks like the national messaging for the democratic party doesn't really look like messaging uniquely catered to Texas. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, he had some stuff, but yeah, he had some stuff, um, but yeah, I got, I got some ideas on that. Yeah. Um, so what are we on first? Also, um, NTG Madison Taylor, uh, yeah, Marjorie Taylor his, Green oh, Marjorie, winning yeah. shouldn't be that surprising because yeah. the district has has existed since 2012, 2013, and it's always gone Republican. And I'm and when I say Republican, I mean like uh, the first year Tom Graves won it by 72 percent, 73 percent, and 2014 wow. he ran unopposed, which means that the Democrats didn't think it was worth putting anybody up. Yeah. And then 2018, they took a crack at it, and Mark, and Tom Graves won again, and he got 76% of the vote. And then in 2020, Marjorie Taylor Greene got 75% of the vote. And I'm not sure, because I think she ran this year too, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure yeah, what she did this years. time, but it wouldn't surprise me if she still pulled it off, even if by a special smaller margin like here's the thing it wasn't just that you know the the pendulum has been swinging as much you know 2010 was a blowout for republicans for sure mm -hmm. but democrats actually overperformed like honest to god you've got republicans yeah, talking yeah. talking about backing desantis over trump yeah I mean, that it's, conversation it's... doesn't happen if if the red wave happens. Exactly. Exactly. No, it is. It, the Democrats did overperform as bad as we, which is, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, that's to make us feel better here in Texas. <laughs> cause you know, cause uh -huh. we're, we, we're not really getting to see that, but on the, on the national scale, this is actually a good trend for the country. But again, we're a unique state with unique needs. Um, well, Texas and Florida have been advertising themselves as these, you know, conservative, uh, safe havens mm -hmm. and you have to also think that over time you know we've got a lot of diversity and there's two things that i think that are happening number one you're getting a lot of working class from california who were your republicans from california that's why it seems like california is getting a lot more blue than it was because the conservatives are leaving and they're coming yeah. here number two um republican messaging doesn't work well with minorities except for for the hispanic block and they've been making a lot of gains there if you look at i think even the texas gubernatorial i think yeah. they got like 40 percent of the hispanic vote yep they were shooting for 50 but 40s mm -hmm. they're getting more and i have an article about that yeah. that we'll, we can talk about later as well i mean another thing too like on that point of the democrats overperforming and doing better you look at the candidates who did win and it who who did you know for the most part not all of them um it's it's the the progressives you know it's the it's the bernie sander types that are kind of standing for the values that they actually believe in and stand up for and, art, and articulate uh and it's those are the ones that that seem to be doing the best for the most part obviously stacy abrams didn't win for the governor but she you know that's a that was a tough race i think in, in from the get-go um it was an ambitious election for her to, for her to go for that but i mean she didn't get blown out you know um 
it was just a, you know, I don't like this year. Maybe she can try it again next year or something. But obviously Warnock, uh, Fetterman, you know, up in Pennsylvania, like he's he's a progressive, you know. That uh, made me so happy when yeah, Fetterman dude. won. You have no idea how happy that made me. Yeah, dude. Like, like that's that's big, actually. Um, like Lieutenant Governor him. Stone Cold is the, I still consider him to be the lieutenant governor of Texas. Dan Patrick owes him money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so yeah, so Dan Patrick. So that's let's transition to the results. Let's look at what they actually are, and then we can talk about we can do a postmortem about why. Um, I'll just very quickly go into the list. I'm not gonna go into too much detail about a lot of these. There's a couple of bright spots, couple of bright spots, which I'll hit. Um, we'll start with the congressional districts, uh, 12 and 24, uh, K Granger won that one pretty handily 64%. Um, what I thought was interesting about these two, the percentages were a little less than like the statewide one. Like it's pretty much like, well, I guess, no, I'm wrong about that. A little more. That's what I meant to say. Uh, like for instance, the governor won at 54.8%. Abbott won, obviously. Lieutenant governor and the attorney general who are like the attorney general is not popular, right? Paxton, like most people hate Paxton. He still won at like 53% of the vote. So like those were, they were close. The other state offices, railroad commissioner, ag commissioner, land commissioner, comptroller, which by the way, we lost all of them. There were no state offices that were won by Democrats. Um, those were like 56% of the vote. So like more Republicans voted for comptroller, land commissioner, railroad commissioner, commissioner of agriculture by 3% or so than who voted for the other three, the governor, the lieutenant governor, the, the attorney general, which I thought was weird. But then we look at Granger. She won by 64%. So that's like 11% yeah. higher than those guys. Um, Senate, uh, you know, Congressional District 24, uh, Beth Van Duyn won that one at like 59.8%. So like almost 60. So again, that one's like higher than the average for the state. The other two U.S. Congress districts that are in Tarrant County is District 30 and District 33. One of those was uh, Crockett. Now I don't have, where's my, I didn't write the first names. Um, Crockett won as a Democrat, won that district by 75%. Mark Vesey won again. And I don't know what term this is for him. This is probably like his sixth or seventh term or something. Um, he's serving for Congressional District 33 and he won by 72%. So this is kind of, you know, the packing strategy, right? Where we just pack a bunch of Democrats into these, gerrymandered districts which you could say district 30 and 33 are are that yeah um and then so definitely, definitely part of it that's pretty much you know like those two wins are a third of the wins that we've got for the county <laughs> those two guys well here's here's the other thing and this is really hard to overcome um is you know a lot of people say it's voter ap apathy but here's the other thing uh the older you get the more conservative voters are now, they are technically, they make up less people, right? They vote a lot more uh, reliably mm -hmm. than younger voters. Mm -hmm. Younger voters just don't show up. And the other thing is, I've noticed, is a lot of these Republican areas that they can help, but they don't want you to show up. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was going to call in college, if I so much as looked at the congressional polls, I had teachers being like, keep moving, keep walking. Why you vote? Like, excuse really? you? What? Yeah, bro. Like, um, they'd be like, oh, that's for local elections. You probably don't qualify for this, blah, 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 blah. And it'd be in the same that's county I, I lived in. Yeah. Fuck, like, Colin College has a lot of fuckery going on. Just 
FYI, folks. Um, I didn't I didn't recognize it then. I recognize it now, but they do not want younger people voting. No, I mean that's and we're going to come to that because I got some data points about the colleges and the voting percentages for those precincts here in a minute. Um, that I hate to hear that, but I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, just to hit the rest of these real real quick, mucking through the the losses uh, as quickly as possible. We've got the three Senate districts, state Senate districts nine, twelve, and twenty three. Uh, all three of those state Senate seats were won by Republicans. Um, no, two Royce West. I don't. I missed. I missed his color. I didn't highlight in blue. Royce West won District twenty three which he always does, and he wasn't even contested. So there, like, wasn't an election for him. He just, like, got it. Um, the other two, Senate 9 and 12, were won by Hancock and Parker. And again, kind of like that above the state average at 60% or so. Um, let me see. Where's where's it at? They, I have... I Give me one second. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Do-ba-do-ba-do. All right. Um... No, that's not it. That's not it. Is it this one? Nope. Is it that one? Nope. Is it that one? Nope. Well, I'm going to have to edit all this out. Uh, do ba do. I thought I had the Texas Tribune like just ready to go, but I didn't. All right. So the Texas uh, House and Senate, like this is kind of how they lie. Like, obviously, the Republicans run both of them. Um, the where's the little graph i had these little pictures that showed little graphs percentages brian birdwell won uh senate district brian birdwell won texas senate district 22 that was hard to say there you go what where's that that's not in tarrant county is that in dallas county District County? 22, I bring him up because like every time I talk about Brian Bird, his name would pop up when oh, I Google cool. him. And he was he didn't even have a Democrat didn't wherever District 22 is located. Uh yeah. he it was a Republican versus a libertarian. And hey, G- hey, those Shruffle. libertarians got 25% of the vote, sir. Yeah, they did. Uh it's actually really good for them. Yeah. Uh in Senate What this this motherfucker's good. This Jeremy Schrappel's gonna think he can run for president now. Yeah. So, okay, I found it. I found it. So Texas Senate is, we have 31 seats in it. 18 of them were Republican and 13 of them were Democrats. Uh, Now it's currently 19 Republicans and 11 Democrats with one seat still up. So it might be 20 to 11 or it might be 19 to 12. Uh, Not good. Democrats don't have a lot no. of power there in the house. It's, it's, I guess a little better, like the margins closer, uh, 150 seats in the Texas house. Uh, the, these all elections are finished. So 86 of those seats are Republican. 64 of those seats are Democrats. Um, yeah. so, you know, it's just our, our, uh, you know, our tech state Congress is just, it's not a good, not a good situation. They here's what's happened. They've rigged the game. And yeah, I think the problem exactly. with Texas Democrats is for too long we've been playing their game. Beto, even though he lost, um, I think has the right idea about engaging younger voters. That is very bold, considering it is probably the hardest, cha- the biggest challenge any political pundit or pollster faces is getting more voter turnout. Yep. 
you know. Yep. And the other thing you, I've noticed is that even on the local elections, Republicans are dominating. Look at the freaking school boards. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I mean, the school boards are an example of it. I mean, and I, I saw in one of these articles, I read so much articles this morning, I'm getting kind of all confused. Uh, I think it was like 60 commissioner courts across the state, like 60 more Republican seats in the, in the county courts. Um, mm -hmm. so that's, a, you know, kind of like how the Republicans have been getting state legislatures across the country, more Republican over the past 20 years, 30 years. Uh, it's like the same thing, but at the county level, it's like, they're just infiltrating the local, you know, the county commissioner's court in all the counties and just bringing the more, more red. So that's, that's not a good sign. That's not a good data point. Um, you know, I don't, I don't. I don't know. So real quick in, in our, uh, how in Tarrant County for this Texas house, we've got 10 districts, 90 to 95 and then 97 to 101. Ramon Romero, one district 90 handily because he had no contender. So he automatically won it district 91. That's another problem. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, I mean, I, I used to be Ramon in Ramon's district. I like Ramon. I've met him a couple of times. Nice dude. Um, Definitely, I wouldn't. He's just a standard like corporate Democrat, is how I would identify him. Uh, in the vein of like an Obama type, you know, this Beto type, you know, he's but he's Hispanic. Uh, 91 uh, was won handily by Stephanie Click, who was a Republican and also had no challenger. <laughs> uh, did, oh, 91's not in our, not in Tarrant County. My bad. Are we on Texas House or U.S. House? Te Texas House. So we got okay. 10, 10 seats. Uh, Texas District 92. This one was actually a big one. Salman Bojani won by with 58% of the vote. He is the first Muslim and Pakistani to sit on the Texas House. Um, so that's good. I remember being in support of when we were doing the primaries, he was we identified him as a progressive based on his policies. Um, so it looks like we got a progressive dude uh, from Pakistan representing District 92, which I think is awesome. That's that's like a win. We we got something to actually be proud of right there. Uh, I believe that's like East Tarrant County. It's like Arlington. Um, so then ninety three uh, was a run where a Republican Nate Schatz line he defeated Casey Chowdhury. District ninety four also won by a Republican Tony Tinderholt beat Dennis Sherrard. Uh, District ninety five was won by a Democrat who was the incumbent Nicole Collier. Uh, she won seventy four percent of the vote. Uh, good for her. Yep, good for her. Then uh, 97 was won by incumbent Republican Craig Goldman with 58% of the vote, so that was a little closer, but they still got it. Uh, 98 was won by incumbent Republican Giovanni Capriligioni. I don't know if I got that right. 66% for him. Uh, district 99, which is my district, uh, we lost to Charlie Guerin. Uh, he got 61% of the vote. Our candidate, who I was trying to support, is Mimi Coffey. She got about 38.1% of the vote. So I, I failed to go through the... I had the voting counts, too, and I wanted to point those out. So I'll just do it here for this one as an example. Uh, District 99, the west side of town, pretty much like north of 30 and like east of Jacksboro Highway. Or, I'm sorry, west of Jacksboro Highway. Um, in that entire district, we had about 53,000 people vote. 33,000 of them voted for Charlie Guerin, roughly 20,000, 20,451 
voted for Mimi Coffee. So that's not that's not that big. And that's, you know, for Tarrant County, we've got a, a large population here. Um, but that's not that many people. That really isn't. And if you go to the smaller districts, you know, out in the rural areas, um, you're going to have much smaller numbers. Even, uh, yeah, like some of these 20,000, 25,000 people in the entire district are voting. And so I, I kind of do want to spend some time maybe at the end of the podcast talking about like statistics and how these precincts works. I think I think kind of demystifying the data behind elections and just really understanding how these numbers are gathered and how it works and maybe to inform us on how to change this stuff. Right. Because like, if we don't have, yeah. if we don't know how it works, we can't come up with better ideas to, to change it. Right. Or like better ways to do it. Um, and there are certainly better ways to do it. Um, so yeah, I don't know something we can get into later, but yeah, one, I guess the last one was district one hundred one. Chris Turner was the incumbent. He also had no challenger. So so a couple of our wins, I think three of the wins that I've listed for the Democrats were people who didn't have someone running against them. Um, yeah, there's at least four because you didn't in 110, 109, 104. And then obviously you mentioned 101, which is Chris Turner. Turner. Um, that's not good. That means that that's probably where they packed a lot of Democrats. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's yeah. the cracking and packing strategies of the gerrymandering and just piling all the Democrats into it. This Joe Roberts guy could probably it's probably gonna run for a libertarian vice president next to that other guy, you know, because he got hey, that's that's ten percent of the vote. That's ten times more than they normally get, right? Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna do a lot of, a lot of heavy shitting on libertarians, although I have to give it to them. They a lot of them think individualistically and they will run well they're going to run regardless but some of them are getting smarter and being like oh there's no one contending this race i'm gonna vote i could pick up a couple percentage points there yep and you know they, i i would love to maybe have mr uh, mr <laughs> uh have trey holcomb on mr trey holcomb he is a mr uh to, to talk about the party because he's in the party he he ran as a candidate against k granger I think he got about six or seven thousand votes when he ran. He knows the process. He's well well aware of the inner workings of the, the of Texas. Oh yeah, and here's um, here's the thing. I I legitimately would prefer libertarians over Republicans for the most part, because yeah, at least you know where the hell they stand. There's more you know? common ground. Yeah, I think there's more common ground for certain things. Um, you know what you're getting. Yeah, and in other areas, yeah, you're gonna have a big big old brick wall. But in other other areas, you've you've got more more areas to work together. You know, they're not going, the thing about libertarians is that they don't do that, and this is to their detriment um, politically, they don't do that uh, political handshaking, you know. They don't compromise their values. They don't, I don't tune know about that. Their, their messaging to whoever's there. Yeah, I mean, it's Like just, the Republicans do. Yeah, it's not as slimy or smarmy as the Republicans. I think there's a little more self-righteousness uh yeah in in libertarian stuff but my issue and this is just anecdotal i've only know the people that i know of in my network that i've had contact with in relationships with over the years uh so it's only a small you know that's a small data set but of the libertarians that i've known and still know in my life almost all of them are christian and that ideology that the christianity or what their their idea of christianity tends to supersede their political ideology. And so this is like the abortion thing. Like any real libertarian would be, you know, against abortion restrictions. Um, I don't think I've actually met one here 
in this oh, area. Oh, so you're not aware of the actually, little civil civil war they got going on, are you? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I imagine there's one, but I guess all my friends are on one side of that war. Right. So the Libertarian <laughs> Party right now is divided between like Christians and the most hardcore atheists you've ever fucking met. I believe okay. it. Okay. <laughs> like it. they, you, you, they eat each other in a similar manner to how, you know, the further left you get, which isn't saying much in American politics. Um, the more you have people arguing, the more you have people taking issue the more you like i will see people on the left having more problems with other people on the re, on the left than conservatives do you know because you'll get like a progressive or like a tanky or somebody and they'll see like a corporate democrat democrat be like fuck this guy i mean yeah he's not this guy but especially fuck this guy yeah man i i don't even know i'm at a loss for words this whole thing i've been getting like really emotional like not in like a sobby crying way but in like an angry yeah. angry way you know like this reading uh -huh. these articles and going through this data is just making me go like what the fuck dude like what the fuck you know like what the fuck like why why you know one of them is why is nobody turning out you know that's the big one so okay let's get into the let's get into the data so we were down in tarrant county 10 percent from 2018 um, across the board. And like numbers across the country are down, like in Texas is down across the state. This isn't unique to Tarrant County, but it's kind of like why, you know, and part of you've, we've you kind of already said earlier, like some of it's redistricting, some of it's voter restriction laws. Um, but I think a lot of it is voter apathy and people just feeling like, what's the point or overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, I think some of it is maybe tied to Beto as a candidate because really like when someone's running for governor, that's the person who's kind of like quarterbacking the whole election for the party. Well, the you other know? thing is it's, it's a midterm election. So, you know, turnout's going to be down overall. But yeah, that is a problem too. Beto's name is getting worn out, yeah. especially in Texas because that's where they, they, they've drug him the most. Matter of fact, one of the reasons reasons Beto isn't a senator right now is because Lauren Boebert is in Congress. What do you mean? Did y'all miss that? Yeah, Lauren was the, the person who egged him on in a little... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. On TV, on TV. yeah. Before, Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Uh, the infamous Hell Yeah, we're coming for your guns. She was the person who kind of set that, that entire thing up. That's the reason she got a little congressional run. It was a reward. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's how a lot of this stuff works. Little tit for tat, y'all. So, like, in, like, what I, I guess what I want to get into is I, because of the, uh, the position of volunteer that I'm doing uh, in, in, for the Tarrant County Party and, like, House District 99, the, the district that Charlie Guerin just won again, um, I have data for that district in regards to the turnout and in regards to the number of precincts. Uh, and then I also have... Um, like demographic breakdowns of each of those precincts. And so like, I just kind of started going through this stuff today, just trying to make sense of some of it. And of my, I should have counted totally. I don't, I don't actually, <clears throat> I didn't count all of them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, blah, 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 blah. It's, I'm guessing here, a hundred, maybe less, maybe like 75, precincts um of those 
only 20 of them in my district have what are called precinct chairs or some volunteer who's in charge of that precinct. Each precinct has about like 200 to 300 doors in it. And so each door, each home can have, you know, multiple voters in it. Um, and so like, that's your little section. That's your little territory. It's kind of your job as, as a precinct chair to be in contact with these people, to make sure their information's up to date, to let them know when the election is and to help them with any voting information or whatever. Also get them to volunteer and to canvas and to block walk and to, you know, phone bank, all of those things. If, if anybody, you know, it's the precinct chair who reaches out to the people in the community to see who they can get. Um, so of my district, we only, I don't know, 15, 20% of it's like occupied. The rest of it, there's nobody there. There is nobody running or doing anything. And so I think, you know, I don't know if mine's representative of the whole, of all of Tarrant County, but we've got 10 of these. Uh, and to all varying degrees, there's like, it's a low level of participation of precinct chairs. I don't know if any of them have 100% occupancy. I doubt it. Um, and so like of these precincts, I'm getting numbers of, people inside of them who are the voting age population. And a lot of it's between, you know, less than a thousand up to about 5,000 or, or four or 5,000. There's a couple that are more than that, but not many. Um, and so like, that's, you know, a, a group of people that you could essentially activate or incur, you know, make, make them do yeah. something if you have somebody in the position to do that. Uh, and then like some of these districts, I was looking to see like, okay, which ones of these are competitive? Because what they also have in this spreadsheet is like the percentage of that precinct. I said district a second ago, I meant precinct. Um, this percentage of that precinct who voted for uh, Beto over Ted Cruz in 2018. Um, and so all this data is like comparing it to the last midterm, not to the last election, because otherwise, yeah, it would be very skewed, you know, as like a much smaller election if we compared it to a presidential election. So we're comparing it to the last midterm in 2018. And like a lot of these precincts have 50, 65% of these people who voted for Beto for Senate. Um, but then now, like they're not, you know, they're not either turned on or, or activated. The people aren't turning out in the same sort of numbers, but those potentially could be one blue if they were motivated, if they were, you know, if people were participating and activating. Right. Them. And a lot of these that have the numbers for it, like comparing them to who has a precinct chair and who doesn't, a lot of them don't. And so it's like, we could really win, I don't know, easily 15, 20 more precincts if somebody was just a precinct chair in them. Like there's already, there's already the percentages of the precinct are already fa leaning in, in the favor of Democrats. Um, Did we look at the number of precinct chairs for Republicans? Because I, I have, oh, yeah, I have two hypotheses, two theories. Number one, they probably have more precinct chairs. Of course. Although, even if they didn't, I wouldn't be surprised. This is already a red leaning state. And number two, um, I will bet you that the precinct chairs are older people who have more time on their hands. Yes. And that's just in my experience with the ones that I'm working with in my district. It's probably about 50-50. I actually have a lot of young people that are coming up, realizing, I think, how the process works and wanting to be active and involved. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's cool. I'm, I'm actually going to try to go to a meeting this Wednesday for the Tarrant County Progressives. Uh, West, uh, I, think I, I think I butchered their name. Uh, it's like, ah, it's in my email. Damn it. But yeah, these, these group of progressives over here on the West side that meet up once a month, um, two of them are my precinct chairs. I haven't met these guys yet. So I'm going to try and meet up with them and try and start developing this network. But I guess I'm, say all, I'm saying all of this stuff 
not to just go like a to show kind of the granular level of how this stuff works, but b like the bar is super super low. Like I'm talking to 20 people, and if we could get 20 more, maybe Mimi Coffee could have won. You know, like it's we're dealing with numbers of of dozens or hundreds of people per precinct, and you add that up, and that ends up to a few grand for the whole district. And if you can swing, you know a few grand votes in these districts. Like that's all it takes. Um, so I don't know. I'm just trying to demystify the process a little bit. One other data point that I want to just break down real quick, and this is just more to understand like how bad the turnout was, um, is the, the actual turnout numbers. So including early voting and election day, I have the breakdown for the whole county. Um, a lot of it's Benbrook, Azel, Hearst, Arlington, Colleyville, Everman, Forest Hill, NRH, Grapevine, Haltom City, Kennedale, like it's all of those. Um, I'm not going to read the whole list. And I I don't know if I should actually provide this. I don't know if this is supposed to be public information or if this is supposed to be internal information. I'm going to share it, obviously, but I don't know if I can like share the spreadsheet. Um, of the Fort Worth precincts or uh, the voting precincts, whatever, po polling places, I guess I should call them polling places so not, as not to confuse them with what I was just talking about. Um, we have the Como Community Center. All right. In 2018, we had 10,848 people show up and vote in the entire two weeks and election day. That's the total number. In 2022, we had 8,506 people show up, which is down by 21%. So 2,342 people didn't come. Um, and really, just to, before I go down the rest of these numbers, these numbers should be growing because every couple of years, there's more people who can vote. There's more people that are registered. There are more people in the population. So even if like nothing changes, you know, if everything stays equal, these numbers still should be going up in proportion to the how population. Much of that, how much of that 200K do you think is uh, voter apathy? And how much of that do you think is voter suppression? And I'm not talking about just like voter suppression laws. I'm talking about like polling places being available. Because I noticed that. Yeah. that there was like more of an effort to make make some of, some of the, these polling places in strategic areas less available. Like yes. you've seen it before. Like yes. you know, there's this big election. It looks like there's going to be a lot lot of support on both sides, and all of a sudden, you know, the morning of, we had to close this polling place down because mm -hmm. there was no AC. Oh, we couldn't find people to work this. Oh, sorry, you won't be able to vote. Yep. You'll have to go all the way across the other side of town, and now you can't because you have to go back. You know, you only had your lunch break, and you, you won't be able to get back to work in time. Yep. Yeah, it's. I we can we can check that kind of cross cross reference that as we go through the list. Obviously, correlation doesn't equal causation, but I think we can find the places that have the lowest turnout are places that are also places of color, parts of town that are predominantly black or brown people or immigrants. Um, so yeah. So Como, to your point, the one I'm talking about, Como is predominantly black here in, in, in that part of town, if, if people are unaware, down 21.6%. Yep. The next one that's a Fort Worth location is Diamond Hill Jarvis Library. That's over on the west side, down 33.5%. That's a huge percentage. Let's look at the numbers. It There were 3,100 people who went to that polling place in 2018. There are 2,000 94 who showed up this time so they're down 1100 or so not not even quite 1100 but that's 33 percent um what else we got here uh griffin sub courthouse it's in the 76119 zip code i'm not exactly sure where that is down 36.8 percent from 
6,600 to about 4,100. Keller Town Hall, that's in Keller. Oh, I marked that as a high percentage. So Keller, like the big turnout locations are like not in Fort Worth. It's like Keller had about what did have 23,000 show up last time. They're down 16% to 19K, 19,200K. Um, the other, what are the other big ones I highlighted? Bedford, it had 14K show up. Um, the Center for Community Service Junior League Arlington had 15,000 show up. Colleyville Public Library had 11.3,000. Um, but like Fort Worth, we're, we got the low numbers. We got Hanley Meadowbrook Community Center over on the east side, uh, down 6% from 7,600 to 7,100. Uh, we've got the James Avenue Service Center on the south side. Um, that's down 21%. From twenty three thousand to nineteen thousand ish, I'm kind of rounding some of these numbers off because I can't tell. Because um, if I just start saying a bunch of numbers, then all of our brains are going to melt. Uh, Northside Community Center in Fort Worth. It's obviously Northside. This one was scary to me. Um, three thousand two hundred and forty six is who came out in the Northside in twenty eighteen. This time they are down 52.1%, and only 1,556 people showed up to vote in Northside. Northside's got a giant population. <laughs> There's a lot of people that live on the Northside. They're predominantly Latino. Um, only 1,500 people showing up is like alarming to me. Now, the thing is, because they changed the laws in Texas, like you can vote anywhere. So just because you didn't vote, maybe you live in Northside, but maybe you voted by where you work and maybe you work in Dallas, you know, somewhere else in the county or something. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's no, you can't totally correlate this is where the people from, but usually people go to the place closest to them. Usually it's down the street or nearby elementary school, whatever. So like people tend to, but you don't have to. So, you know, that is affecting the numbers too. But we've only, we've got, you know, Southside Community Center, Southwest Community Center, Southwest Sub Courthouse, Southwest Baptist Theological Church. Um, we, th those are all on the south side. The community center was down 28% from about 8K to about 5.9K. And then there's these, there's these discrepancies on the positive side. So the Southwest Baptist Theological Center um, over there off James was only open for three days. This is where we're going to get into the next thing. All the universities were only open for three days, if they were open at all. So their numbers, they had a bigger turnout than, than last time because there was less opportunities to come. And so the days that they did come, those numbers are really high. Um, so last time... But do you really think that, there was, that those numbers would have gotten lower if they had extended the early days i don't know and so i guess really the, the theological one i have it backwards last time around this is weird now that i'm thinking it through this is weird why does the religious school now get the, so they didn't they had early voting every day uh this year they had early voting every day and so at their polling place got 1183 votes last time in 2018 they only got three days when they got 400 total in those three days which puts them up 190, 195 percent 
That's why that's like, that's a weird data point. You know, that's an outlier. It's like, what the crap? Well, they only voted three days last time. Now they voted, you know, 15 days, essentially 14 days, or whatever, I guess no, day 12, 12 days. Um, so it's up. So that makes sense. Now I'm just going to rush to the bottom and kind of finish my point with this. Um, UNT Health Science Center. Okay. Okay, so I, I, I guess I misunderstood some of this data at first. I was going to say they all voted three days. It looks like the universities are open longer for the UNT Health Science Center and the University of Texas at Arlington, UTA. Last time around, they were only open three days. Now they were open the full 12 days. So their numbers are up in large percentages. Um, mm -hmm. So that's good. I was going to be like negative about that, but that's actually good. Um, the Tarrant yeah. County Election Center, the Tarrant County Plaza building are down 28% and 36% respectively. So that's not good. But then the bottom of the list is the Southwest Regional Library, TCU, and Texas Wesleyan had their polling places closed. Um, so they didn't have any voters. Their voters were zero. TCU had their polling place closed? Yeah, they didn't have one. That's intentional. So, I mean, I don't know. There's, this... there's no way that's not intentional. Yeah. Someone, someone made sure that shit was closed. So I don't know. That's why... Is because in the religious areas, you're going to get that's where, where your young people who are going to vote Republicans, that's where they're going to be at. When you get to your actual universities, mm. they're not voting Republican. Mm. They Some they GCU definitely, definitely connect yeah, more with but, Beto than they do with than they do with Abbott. Yeah, I think you're right. That's right. one of the reasons this, this thing is down because that's one of the main places where young people go to vote. You know, the only time that you're going to see that really opening up at a university is, there, is that there's a bunch of old people in a local neighborhood who want to use it to vote at, like at Collin College. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. And I don't know. This is just a number data sheet. It doesn't tell me why they were closed or who decided to close them. But yeah, TCU not having a polling place is suspicious. To, to that, And that's a charitable <laughs> way to look at it. Uh, but then the Southwest Regional Library, like the library... Uh, didn't, you know, it didn't have one. And so, and then Texas Wesleyan, another a university in, uh, you know, on the East side in the, off of Rosedale, that one was closed too. So this, what is I this? I wonder how many polling places were closed now compared to 2020 and compared to 2018. Yeah. I don't, yeah, that's a great question. And we could find that out. I'd have to run, you know, have to do more yeah. research, <laughs> but that's it. That's it. We could find that data point for, for sure. Um, so here's how much down it was for the county. You can like, it's really easy to find out how the state was down. But for Tarrant County, uh, in 2018, we had 432,000 people in change show up. This time around in 2022, we had 389,000 and change show up, being down by 43,450 votes. That is exactly 10% less than what we had last time around. And so, you know, we, we had previously talked about how Tarrant went blue in 2018 for Beto for Senate. Tarrant went and blue in 2020. in 2020 for Biden. Well, this time around, Tarrant went red. Um, so, you know, we're purple. I guess I guess we're officially purple now. Um, yep. So now, you know, I guess one thing to take away with that is that we have, you know, and because of this first past the post system that we have, if you win by one vote, and there are, you know, hundreds of thousands of other votes on the other side. It doesn't matter. All of it goes to that one side, right? 
And so that could work in the advantage of the minority party, which is the Democrats. Like if we could just swing these things just the tiniest bit to our side, uh, we end up winning the whole thing. And if we can win a bunch of precincts that way, that swings us districts that way, that swings the county that way. Um, that's kind of how it works. And I think that's a flawed system. I don't think that's what we should be using, but typically because that type of system, um, you know, allows a minority of people to, to maintain control, which isn't democracy. But in this case, in Texas, uh, that's the Democrats, the Democrats are the minority of people, I think. And, you know, I don't know, Amber and I were talking about this earlier. Like, are there actually more conservatives in Texas or do they just show up more? It's really hard to tell. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there may actually be. And, what I think is going to have to happen. Sorry to cut you off. No, go ahead. for it. Go for it. I'm talking yeah. a hot what, minute. What I think is going to have to happen have to happen is Beto was right. We're going to have to somehow engage the young younger voters, but we need a bigger vote focus on local elections and. We need to get into this mode where we're not letting a single a single election. I'm gonna murder Alexa. We're not having a single uh a single election where uh you have anyone running on a post. You get what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And there's a Republican running by himself, that is a failed opportunity. The other thing we need to be looking at is making damn sure that our precinct chairs have people in them. Those don't, we don't need any vacancies at all. That we have polling places ready to go, and that there is no possible way they can get shut down because of some bullshit AC law. You know what I'm saying? We also need to have like alternative polling places too. What we need to do is a lot of these packed areas where there's a lot of republicans we need to start breaking up support and if that that means where we that we get a democrat and a libertarian running that helps the democrats because there's a lot of people who vote republican they're going to break libertarian so if we get to a point where we get a candidate who can do who performs really well in a republican area maybe not as well as the republican would have but we have that libertarian more people who would would have voted Republican if we have ranked choice are going to vote Libertarian than they're going to vote Democrat. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So that's going to break up their support. We've got to get just as vicious and meticulous as uh, as they are. You know, I was. This is going to sound like a weird example, but I've been playing the new God of War Ragnarok, and there's a lot of fucking bugs, right? <laughs> and the mechanics are jacked up. Because it's a new game and they're still setting stuff out. Sure. Um, I've started getting really cheap with some of the methods I use to not die. Because literally it's like you can hit this person 30 times and they're not going to go down. They hit you twice and you're dead. It's kind of the same thing here. If we, if we play with Republican tactics, we're going to lose to Republicans. We can't have a fair fight. We yeah. have to get an advantage with every every opportunity that we have, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. No. I, yeah. And I think calling it fair. I mean, fair. Fair to who? Right. Fair in exactly. from whose perspective? Right. Life's um, not fair. Yeah. I mean, and that's and that, I don't want to make it sound like that's condoning being unethical, but like you're 
they're going to do certain things that are you know, obviously unethical from their perspective, but they don't have the same ethics. So it's like, they don't, they don't care. Um, and so it's, you know, from, we, we have to do other things. We can't violate our own ethics. So we need to do other things. And this is where I think it's, you know, be ruthless. We need to be ruthless and Machiavellian, uh, uh, to our politics and our approach with institutions specifically, like kind to each other. I'm taking Michael Brooks here. Like, this is what, this is the shit he said before he passed, like be ruthless with institutions, but kind to each other. And if we can like literally take on like the, the aggressive approach that they take on towards like, you know, culture into groups of people. If we could take that same aggressive approach, but to the systems and to the systems of power and to the, the, the Republican party as an institution, right? Like if we can actually be ruthless and actually be aggressive. I think it'll work in our favor, but yeah, so many times we we're, we're scared to do so. And the thing yeah. is the policies are on our side. They don't have any policies. They don't have any. There's All not they have a is we're not Democrats. That's literally it. And here's the other thing they have that i talked about this earlier um they have party unity like there is a mini civil war going on between desantis and trump and they're still showing up in droves for each other okay you don't have that on the left you have motherfuckers who are going to stay home if their little if their little person didn't win because they're more progressive and this person's a, or they and they see this democrat as a corporate shill or vice versa you get what i'm saying like yeah, we need more party unity and less infighting, and especially we need to stop doing this shit, this fighting publicly. Like lately, I've been breaking this rule over some Kyrie Irving shit because uh, news. I, I I don't know if you know this, but I'm I don't take kindly to anti semites. Of course. And anyways, um, getting off that topic because that that's gonna be a whole other hour. Um, we. We've got to get more united about how we do things, you know, because when they see us fighting publicly, that is like a shark seeing blood in the water. Yeah. I mean, we, I think we both sides do it. We get off on watching the Republicans have been fighting. It's the same, same for them. Like, yeah. And here's the other thing, like, and this is for our media uh, people. Why the hell aren't we showing up to every local school election every school board meeting every city city council meeting i mean really show up report about it make sure people know about every little you know you know that's the thing no one's got we're all everybody's working too many jobs everybody's taking too care of too many things everyone especially since the pandemic like everyone's just burnt the fuck out you know i remember when i lived in arlington there was a good oh two months where i showed up to maybe two or three three meetings and the shit i saw was concerning like i saw uh in front of everybody betsy price and carrie moon cut this proposed housing program in half mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and dead ass say shit like uh people in other tax brackets need, need relief too yeah shit like that you yeah. know i've had i've had people working with i think the assistant city manager saying shit like you know, we can't afford these uh, public renovations here, but we can uh, we can afford to subsidize these golf courses. Exactly. And so like this is, you know, the capitalist system that we live in drains and exploits all of us to where we don't have any time or energy or some of us care to even uh-huh. want to try and change it and fix it. And like, that's the thing. We're fighting an uphill battle. 
all of the resources, all of the time is going up to the people who are running the things with the money, right? And like, they're just sucking everything out of us. And like, here's the deal that's so frustrating to me about all of this is like, there's enough, there's enough for everybody. Like there's enough, all of this fighting about, oh, how are you gonna pay for it? Like, there's enough money, dude. Look around, look how much money was created and generated just in the past two years alone. And look where all of it for went. everybody. And then have them still be able to be like stupid rich. That's like, the that's the more frustrating part to me. Is it's not just that there's enough money at the top. Is that there's a, there's enough money for everyone to survive and live a good life and still have them be obscenely rich. Of course, of course. And like that's that's the whole thing. Like, um, if you don't think getting rid of class at all is possible, um, then just make it to the point where the lowest class and there is is one hundred percent taken care of and living in luxury which is possible with the amount of wealth that exists now in the world. Um, and so then if you got people who are more wealthy than that, then like, then who gives a shit? Cause everyone's taken care of. Nobody's in poverty. Nobody's starving. Everyone, you know, you, everyone's thriving, right? Like if everyone's thriving, then who cares if somebody else has a little bit more money and they, whatever. Right. Um, right. then, then, then if that, you know, I say that, then we can talk about climate change. Then we can talk about resources. Then we can talk about what's going to be detrimental to all of us in the community. Right. Uh, and then if you start addressing those questions, then perhaps maybe you end up where, okay, we're not going to really have that big of disparities between what people have, because then maybe you're using more of the planet than the rest of us or something. Maybe. Have you know. been, have you looked into like workers co-ops? Cause I've been getting into those a lot. Oh lately. yeah. Oh yeah, man. Like, like a lot about researching those. Like we need, I got depressed too. Cause we only got like a couple hundred in this entire country. And well, honestly, like, to, you know, that's, if, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. If that shit caught on, uh, here's what would happen. You'd have, all of a sudden, you have all these government authorities getting in everybody's business because capitalists don't like that. Like, let's say, you know, I got my oil chains the other day, right? Cost me like 70, 100 bucks. The guys working there are probably each making like 15, 16 an hour, right? If we had a workers' co-op, each one of those guys would have ownership in the business, and exactly. they, they'd all be getting a portion of that. Exactly, and that's they probably quintuple their fucking yearly income that easily. Is, that is democracy in the workplace. Which, if we don't know, maybe, and I know I, I kind of go on socialism rants sometimes. If we don't know, that's what socialism is. It's in the old school term in the Communist Manifesto. It's workers owning the means of production. That's how it's worded. That's a confusing way to word it. What does that mean? Well, if you want to put it in like the modern terminology, because because industry has changed and business, the concept of corporations and all this stuff has changed. Essentially, workers owning the company and getting equal share of all of the profits therein that are created by everybody's labor. Right. Um, And so, yeah, exactly what you're describing. And we have these and they're usually small companies like and and the thing is, like, if the government sets up the laws in a way that incentivizes and rewards, maybe with tax rewards or something, worker co-ops, then you can have that. And if you like look in Europe, there's a lot of there's a lot of them, um, yeah. depending on what country you're talking about. And like we, it's and the same thing. And for you, have, you still have. I want to be clear. This is going to be like some utopia because you're still going to have capitalist motherfuckers trying to break shit up like they are in Spain. Yeah, exactly. And in Spain, since you bring up Spain, the the I think it's the fifth largest, sixth largest corporation in Spain is a corporation called Mondragon, which is yep. a worker owned co-op. And it's a, it's like 40,000 employees. I think I forget the exact number. It's a giant company that's been around for hundreds of years. Cause it was started by a Spanish priest. Um, 
check out Dr. Richard Wolf, the economist. He talks about Mondragon and, and, and worker-owned co-ops in detail. He's one of my favorite economists, Dr. Richard he's Wolf. The good, he's the good Dick Wolf, not the guy yeah. who made Law and Order and made yes, people think cops are cool. Dick Wolf. I, All right, I didn't even think of that. Yes, the good one. He's got two Fs in his name. Yeah. You've probably seen him as the guy on the internet that says socialism is when the government does it or something. I, I'm butchering the it, quote now. But that's it's that guy. Uh, he's he's, he's the guy smart. who just who just terrorizes the capitalists who think they're gonna like, you know, steamroll this dude, and then they like panic. You can you could see the vote like, what I think it's charisma on command. There's this one guy who had him on his show, and it's funny because like at first they're all laughing and stuff, but halfway through you can see the look of panic on his face because Richard Wolf is making a much better case than he fucking expected. Yeah, he's the man. I love that dude. He he gets, <laughs> he gets me fired up, man. Um. He was, was a what, you know big supporter of Bernie Sanders. Was on the Michael Brooks show a lot back back when that thing was on. So definitely check that dude out. Um, so okay, so to kind of bring it back to the local stuff, um, I had I wanted to read a little bit of the Texas Trib is it Tribune? Yeah, the Texas Tribune article about what the Democrats are saying about the losses, like what would, what they said about it. Um, so I'm just going to kind of read the name of the article is Texas Democrats admit to faltering on messaging and voter turnout, contributing to resounding midterm losses. Uh, the subtitle says better or work lost by double digits on Tuesday night. And so did every other statewide Democrat, which just like hurts. <laughs> um, and so then it's like, OK, why? What what do, what's y'all's deal? And uh, midway down some of, you know, the first couple of pages, it says an internal party memo obtained Thursday by the Texas Tribune, Tribune Democratic Party Executive Director Jamar Brown blamed historic midterm trends, voting restrictions enacted in last year's priority Republican legislation, redistricting that benefited the GOP, quote, mind blowing, in quote, amounts of funding for Republicans and a lack of national investment for Texas Democrats. I think those last two points are something we haven't talked about very much. The Republican Party, because it's Texas and because it's the GOP, they spend a shit ton of money here. Um, the Democratic Party, because it's Texas and because they're the Democratic Party, didn't. Um, and so that's, a, you know, it, we can try and work our asses off and volunteer and organize and register voters all we want. But if the, like, the National Democratic Party isn't going to even prioritize or spend time and resources on the state. Um, there's only so much we can do, you know? And so we have to think like progressives. Okay. Yeah. Like if y'all didn't know, um, progressives run and even if they lose run insanely efficient campaigns, yes. like here's where it's at. Like if a Republican challenger, is going up against a progressive, they usually end up spending three, and they spend three times as much as the progressive. The progressive still has a good chance of winning. Okay. Yep. If they spend five times as much as the progressive, they've got an okay chance of beating the progressive. If they spend seven times as much, they will beat the progressive. Yep. That's how, that's how economically efficient a progressive campaign is compared to the Republican campaigns. Absolutely. And that's and it goes back had to, the, to do more with less, you know, it goes back to the national races that we started to, talking about at the beginning of the podcast. Those are the ones that won for the most part, the ones who either held their seats or won, you know, uh, or won elections are the ones who were running on progressive platforms and were, were running progressive campaigns. Uh, and so, again, like, I think this might be unfair, but I don't know. The more I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I think this is actually this makes sense to me. 
Um, Beto, I think we can compare to Hillary Clinton in regards to the 2016 campaign and saying Democrat, everybody's used to, and nobody really cares for, um, whether that's an accurate, you know, I don't know, but I think people are tired of Beto. I think people are tired of, of Hillary. I think they are both pretty establishment. Like I wouldn't really call Beto a progressive. I know the Republicans think he's a fucking Marxist or something, but he's, he's not. Oh, they don't. That's just how they portray him to scare people into into voting for their guy over him. Exactly. And so like they, and here's the thing. Like I don't even think being a Marxist is a bad fucking thing. It's well, just yeah. that the way the way we've we've wired everybody and stigmatized everybody, we think of, we think of Marxist as something quite different from what it actually is and yes. it scares the shit out of people. It's yes. a buzzword. Of course. It's like the boogeyman, you know. Exactly. And like and so so, you know, like they're going to say what they're going to say, but there's not much we can do about that. But I guess my point is like he was a bad candidate and we kind of knew that going in. And like even us on the podcast weren't crazy about it when he announced to run again. But we're like, it's, it's the best we got. But it's the best we got, according to the old paradigm. I don't think it's unreasonable to compare him to Obama and call him an Obama type politician. Like I get total Obama vibes from Beto. Obama's old news, man. Like Obama. I loved the dude when he was president. I certainly have a ton of issues with him as well. Nobody's perfect. But like that type of politician and that type of campaign, the 08 campaign, the 2012 campaign, that's like old playbook. Things are different now. The Internet's different now. The society is in a much different place now. And the thing about Obama, though, is not to take anything away from Beto, because I really do think he was the best choice. Um, Obama had a skill set that everyone un underestimated. Like there is a, I think he's dead now, but there was a democratic kingmaker. Okay. And the reason he was like, like a kingmaker is because he would, whoever he backed financially would normally end up getting the party's nominations. He, he had all the delegates in his pockets. He had all these other fundraisers in his pockets. Mm -hmm. So for the longest time, and I mean like before 2008, they already had Hillary lined up to be the 2008 candidate, right? Exactly. Obama had one 15-minute conversation with this guy, and this guy was funding Obama. We're talking about, like, he took 15 minutes to completely change a guy's loyalty to, an, to a politician who's, who had spent decades building up a relationship for this guy's support. Yeah. I mean, he had a certain type of charisma. Not a lot of yeah. people have that. It's a, it's a unique type. It's not like, you know, mm -hmm. really like strong man charisma, like a Hitler or something, right? Like that's a vibe. People are kind of used to that. You know, we know what that is. Obama was just like a nice guy who knew how to talk to people, knew how to tell people what they wanted to hear. He was really good at doing that. Uh, and he was really good at seeming authentic. And so people, yeah. people trusted him, you know? Uh, and those this party MAGA shit that kind of started in 2010. And I remember yeah. like Obama reaching across the aisle and, and Republicans would get mad because Republicans would end up working with him and they'd be like, why are you helping the opposition? They're like, well, he's a nice guy. He convinced me of this, 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 you know? And that was his thing. If we don't remember, or if we weren't around back in the 28, 2010, 2012, when the, the Medicare for all crazy stuff was people were trying to get that to happen. Um, that was his whole thing of working with Republicans, working with Republicans. I'm going to work with Republicans. I'm going to, I'm not going to be a crazy progressive and push a progressive agenda was essentially like what he said for eight years. Uh, and so yeah. like, you know, okay, cool. And so I, you know, Beto said something about guns one time, but like besides the, the marijuana thing, 
like he really does isn't really running in, on any other sort of progressive ideas. Maybe maybe internet for rural people or counties, like giving him providing money for internet infrastructure. Like you could say that's a progressive idea, but like it was, it's not, it's nothing crazy. It really isn't. And so, okay, I want to kind of read a couple more things from the article. Um, back to the money thing, they say uh, it's unclear how much financial backing of any of those potential candidates. Oh, okay, no, first thing I need to say. And we were kind of talking about this already. There are no good candidates in Texas. Very few. Uh, and we can maybe speculate here in a minute about who we think would be good ones. But Beto, like you said earlier, as much as it hurts me to agree with you, he was the best that we had. Uh, and so and this and that's not good. <laughs> and so it's like uh, now the article says how much financial backing of any of those potential candidates that we have, the ones that are out there, could garner money from donors underwhelmed by the Democrats in the latest statewide results you know how many uh this year's gubernatorial race cost the democratic party about 140 million dollars which when i saw that number that's a little number 140 million for the whole election for the whole state yeah that's it that's all that they spent here are you freaking kidding me 140 million i don't know what the republicans number is but i'm sure it's in the billions probably if not hundreds of millions I mean, this is 140. What would theirs be? I don't know, 500, 600, maybe a billion. Like, I don't, I just, I'm kind of like, wow, that's a really little number based on how things are going now. Everything's gone up, including political donations and stuff. Um, and and then, then they continue and saying that party has for years shown an inability to groom candidates for higher office or convenience or convince potentially viable candidates to make a run. So this is kind of going Rachel back to- Rachel looks like a William Jennings Bryan. Like a modern day Williams Jennings, you know, he's he's a good orator. He, he was an OK politician. He can't get to the big show. Can't get to the big show. And like, yeah, like, I don't know. I liked the guy, too. I think he was all right. But in regards to like what our problem is here in Texas, we need better candidates. We need people that people are inspired by and motivated to vote for, like the progressive candidates in other states who have garnered you know, people's attention and, and the ire of the Republican Party, right? Um, Ilhan Omar, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, John Fetterman. We can just look at Fetterman. We can just, we can look at um, Bowman in, in Georgia, right? That dude has had to win four elections. If he wins the runoff here, he would have won four elections to be in office, what, like four years or something? Like, um, and he's been able to, you know, hopefully he can do it, been able to do it. It's, I think the, same it's, possible. Thing. it's the same thing with, uh, Warnock right now, like they're trying to throw. That's what I mean. Every Warnock, yeah. Cause, do you really think we would be having a conversation about him having it? Like, because think about this: the Senate term lasts six years, right? Do yeah. you really think we would be having a conversation about him having to run twice for a sit for a for one Senate term? Exactly. If he was a Republican. No, you would not be having that conversation. There would be some some legislative fuckery that happens, mm-hmm. and George would be like, "You know what? It's okay. He can just keep running." Yeah, and I mean, it, it just goes to show. I think the fact that he's been able to pull it out shows that he's galvanized support. That he has a core group of people that he's. I hate using the term "activated" because it sounds like some weird spiritual woo woo or something, but like. These people are engaged and turned on now, and they are like, you know, they are. You can count on them to organize. You can count on them to turn out, and you can count on them to inspire other people and maybe become candidates themselves. Like that's how this works. 
And like, we need inspirational people here in Texas. Nobody, I'm sorry, nobody on the ballot for us this year was inspiring. You know, maybe a couple of people out of Austin, like I did see Greg Kassar won his U.S. House seat for, for, for Travis County, for Austin. And like, I met that dude at the Democratic Party thing. I think I played some of his audio on that episode. Very cool dude, a progressive and a DSA member. And like, gave a fiery fucking speech that had me riled up and he's fucking Latino. Like we need a person of color running. Like I'm so like, I, it, where are the numbers? It's Latinos. Like that's where Texas is. We can argue Democrat Republican, right? We can't depend on all of them to vote one way. That's just irrational, but you, people do vote for people like them. Right. And Texas is very, very Hispanic, very Latino. So you got to be able to see yourself, it's, man. Exactly. Like that so was one of the, you know, Latino I think I, I told you earlier, my boy, you know, Chris Gutierrez won last night. And one of the biggest things about him is that he's actually, I think, the first technically Colombian fighter in the UFC. Like his parents are straight from Colombia. He's also and, you know, he grew up in Texas and everything. But it never ceases to amaze me the number number of, you know, Latino people who look up to this guy just because he looks like them. It's the same thing in politics. You got to have someone you can look up to. Absolutely. And I was talking to my students about this. They were, I had some students come up to me and they were talking about how we hear about, you know, white American heroes and black American heroes, but they don't know anything about Latinos with the exception of Cesar Chavez. And like, they don't, they yeah. don't know very much about him, but they, they knew his name. And I have, which I have, in Texas, that's in Texas, that's irresponsible, dude. Like, there's yeah. a shit ton. All right. Like, a lot of these, like, we we talk about like Davy Crockett, the Alamo and stuff. Like we don't talk about like the preachers of the missions that set shit off when they got, you know, killed for being a, you know, humanitarian. Absolutely. No, there's a lot. And that's and I, I try to try to get to that stuff in my class. I got a lot of these people on my walls. You got Sylvia Mendez, got uh Ruben Salazar from the L, the LA blowouts. Um, even Richard Oaks, like he he's actually a Native American, but he's another activist as well, you know, of the Alcatraz prison riots. Uh, and so like the, there are people out there and our young people do need to, to, to learn these things. And this is again, why it comes back. We didn't even talk about school board. I skipped it when we were talking about it. It's the state school board is 10 to five Republican to Democrats. We lost a, a, a Democrat seat on there. No, I think we gained one. I think, I think we went from four to five Democrats. Um, but still, these are the people who are writing the star test. These are people who are making the curriculum, um, these are the people who are trying to, you know, ban books and restrict things. So anyways, back to get back and just finish up like the problems with the Democratic Party in Texas. Um, the last quote I wanted to read from the article is essentially um, a, a Democrat. This guy, John Mark Hogue, who's a Democrat who founded the 134 pack to grow the party strength in rural areas, which is a great there's if you want to donate to somebody, donate to that because we need party strength in rural areas. Again, the, the bar is so low there. You got a thousand people that show up to vote. You know, if you can get the people who are liberal because there are people who are progressive or liberal minded out in the out in the rural areas they, they exist and here's the other um, thing like a lot of people i've noticed even the conservatives a lot of them have progressive values they just don't yeah. realize yeah you know? like the, let's take the co-op thing right maybe we don't be like socialism for everybody but be like hey small business model you know you work here you should get the value of working here partner with me right Re rephrase that those structures and all of a sudden you're not you know a socialist you're a small business tycoon yep you're gonna have conservative conservatives you know yeah. simping for you that don't even realize what the fuck is going on yeah there's definitely and that again comes back to the messaging and the wording like we can 
we can frame these things better or frame, you mm -hmm. know, or just frame these things, right? Like that's not something that beta was talking about, right? Like he wasn't talking yeah. about. And so I guess that, you know, uh, I, I, I'll read the dude's quote. He said, instead of listening and being among the people and figuring out what's important, the democratic party, we have a top down approach, which is the democratic party decides what progressive social issues it wants to talk about. And it thinks the state should be interested in those issues. And they just weren't, which is true. And like, if you looked at the polling, what the Republicans cared about and were voting about was the border and was the economy. And like Beto, what didn't really talk about either of those things. Like he talked a little bit about inflation. He just ignored the border. It was just, he just wasn't going to contest them on that. And instead he talked about abortion. He, you know, talked about guns. He talked about education, which was good. Like I, I think he should have said more about getting rid of the star test. I didn't know. I didn't talk to anybody who knew he was actually trying to get rid of that. But like, I think if people knew that, especially parents, they probably would have been more inclined to vote for him. That's a big deal getting rid of the star test and the marijuana thing. He ran on the marijuana thing. And I think that's a good one too. It's kind of low hanging fruit, but like, you're not going to sway anybody with that, right? Like you're just kind of drawing a line in the sand with that one. He should have said something about the border. Like you just, you gotta, I, and this is again, where I think it's the national party and Dem because he ran for president, right? Like he's in, he's in with the national party. He's, he's, he sat on a seat in Congress, right? He, he represented the national party there. Like he's from Texas. He's, you know, it was a Texas, you know, district, but he was, he's been working out of DC and for DC. That's kind of been his political career. Uh, yes, he did stuff in El Paso when the shooting happened. Yes, he's done things in Texas. I'm not denying that, but like he's got national messaging is what I'm saying. And kind of like we've demonstrated already a lot on this podcast, Texas needs Texas solutions to Texas problems. And he like should have said stuff about the economy should have said stuff about immigration um, for better or worse for him. But I think that's, that's like ignoring the problems that people were saying that they cared about in Texas. So like, let me ask you this, Thomas, just to like kind of spitball a little bit. What do you think border wise, like, could he have said, or should he have said to like, you know, make a case to vote for him on that? Well, you got to nullify, you know, Greg Abbott's advantage there. So you say, yes, we do need a more secure border. I think we can do it in a more efficient way than what Greg Abbott's doing because he's using a lot of uh, National Guardsmen there and stuff that, frankly, if we did a better job job of uh, securing, we wouldn't need as many men there. Um, the other thing I would have done is I wouldn't have pushed the wall. Um, yeah. But I would have pushed him on specifics about how we're securing the wall about some of the policies we have. I would have come up with something to, uh, even if it's stuff we already have, I would have just reworked it. Um, talking about how we stop coyotes and drug runners. Cause that's essentially what, what they're hearing is protect us from mm -hmm. invaders, protect us from, mm -hmm. you know, these potential criminals. It is a lot um, of thing. So you have to figure out how to message to them. That's what I would have said. That way, um, you know, when it comes down to the issues, maybe the border isn't the deciding factor. All right, you've got to nullify his advantages politically as far as the messaging goes. You've got to nullify his advantages about solving Texas problems. He hit him hard on, on the power grid. I would have hit, I actually would have hit him harder. And then I would have had more issues, you know, more local issues that uh, people deal with. You know, you brought up education. I would have had a plan to bring more funding to rural areas. I would have pointed out that, hey, 
my plan is going to bring more money for schools in rural areas that need that funding. Yep. You know, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think, you know, think it's, it's, it, it's hard when you're, when you're, especially when you're depending on national money to come in, cause you're not getting any from the party or something, you know, right. We're wanting national donations to kind of please everybody. But I really do think, and his, and this is the thing, like he should know this because he, when he was running for Senate, he did this and he went around and he talked to everybody across Texas. He did have a more catered message, I think. But this, now that he's run for president, I feel like it's like Beto is even more, a more watered down Beto, you know? And like, and again, yeah. not a lot of people were like excited, enthusiastic about him. It was kind of like a Biden, like everyone's like, I guess, I guess that guy, you know, some people were, but not, ev- not, if certainly he was going to get to the show, it would have been 2018. It wouldn't have been now. Yeah. So like, well, tell me what you think of this. So I, as I was kind of reading this stuff and I asked myself the same question I just asked you, I was like, what? What could he have said or done about the border that maybe would have changed the narrative or brought it up? And like, so I came up with kind of a radical idea uh, and, and like beating the Republicans at their own game and saying, you know what? The border does suck. We are we are doing a bad job at patrolling the border. And you know what? Who's doing a bad job? ICE is doing a bad job. You know what we need to do? We need to get the federal government out of Texas's borders. That's our problem. We need to get ICE out of Texas. And they should let us handle this because we're going to do a better job. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and here's the other thing. Here's the other thing you should have hit at. You should have been like, yeah, we have a border crisis. Who's been governor the entire time this border crisis has been here and he's done absolutely nothing. This motherfucker has been here since 2015 and this crisis has only gotten worse. It wasn't even this bad when Obama was president. Exactly. Exactly. Like turn it around on them, address them, you know, do some, uh, some, what is it? Judo or Aikido where you use someone's momentum against them. Like, yeah, and it, that's it's gonna, both, but it's mostly Aikido. It would piss off the coastal elites because they don't want to hear that, but they're not the ones voting in the election. You know, like yeah. <laughs> the, I think that's a message and maybe I'm crazy, but I think that's a message that might actually resonate with some people because people fucking hate ice and tech oh. and, and, you know, no, Texas- you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And like, that's the other thing he should have, he should have done a better job at. He should, he should have been like, listen, this guy has been here since 2015. He does not know how to keep this house clean. Exactly. And like, you know, you want to, you want to try to make sure you don't. It, you know, it, it, it encourage violence or hate or stigmatism against immigrants. Like you don't want to do that, but you can still address it as a problem, as a safety issue that you're going to fix. That's what people want to hear. They want to hear that you understand the problem and that you're going to do something about it. And- See, here's the other thing. Like, you know, there's that 40% that votes red. You should have just turned around and be like, listen, a lot of these immigrants come here the legal way. They work really hard. A lot of these laws that we we have against against them are going to hurt them too. And frankly, a lot of them are more American than a lot mm-hmm. of the uh, mm-hmm. the natural born citizens. So that's true. <clears throat> I, I they I do think they exhibit American ideals better than than people who live here. You know, because those are the p- people who really did have to pick themselves up by their bootstraps because uh, mm-hmm. you know they risked their lives and their families and and their yeah. and their you know what money they had only, to get here. Only form of governmental aid they're getting is the fucking parole you know, parole-esque shit they're having to deal with it just because they uh, decided they wanted to exist here. Exactly. How dare they? And then you can come to the criminalization side where it's like, oh, pe- criminals are coming over. Well, it's like, well, what exactly is criminalizing them? Well, if we change the laws, if we change how the laws are set up and we're not using money and resources on locking up people 
because they're quote unquote against the law. If we lax our regulations a little bit, if we if we change the rules about who is a criminal and who's not, then we're going to have less criminals. Then we're going to spend less money on it and we're going to actually help people. You know, like that's you can like and I, I don't know if that's going to sell for Republicans, but that might sway a couple of centrists that may exist and like actually energize, you know, uh, uh, maybe some liberals to come out or vote or something like I think you can. You know, and again, you're going to piss off people who are on the far left. They're going to be like, what the fuck? No, you know, don't, you know, I think there is. I like how it took us 15 minutes to legitimately come up with a bet with a better position than the one Beto took. I mean, and I don't know if it's, we'd have to see if it, you know, we'd have to fucking focus group it or whatever. Right. And see if it actually works. But I think, I think that's, you know, what, what do we have to lose trying these crazy ideas? Right. Like, what do we have to lose in this state? You know, except for, you know, the, the autonomy of women's bodies and stuff. Right. Like the, and I, I'm being facetious there, but like, I understand these, there are high things that are going on, but like we, we've been trying the same playbook for a long time and it's not working. So we need to change. We need to uh, adapt. We need to, you know, experiment, fucking research and development some of this shit so we can actually, you know, find something that does work and implement that because we do need to win. And just like pretending that doing the same thing over and over again is going to win is like doing a disservice to everybody. Like we can't exist in that paradigm anymore. I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, Listen, we got about, you know, by my account, I think we got about two years before 2024. I think we need to basically start rebuilding and have a much, much stronger infrastructure. We need to focus on local elections. Mm -hmm. We need to focus on school board elections because like Democrats have basically walked away from that, which is astounding to me because our whole thing's supposed to be education. They're just letting the Republican parties have that. And that's nation fucking wide. Like, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, I don't know. There's again, worked up a little bit. There's a lot wrong with all of this stuff. Let me look at my list. Let me see if there's anything that we missed. So why we, we talked about messaging. We talked about organization. We talked about funding. We talked about redistricting. We talked about Beto as a candidate uh, and as a figurehead for the party in general. If we have a better candidate for governor, we have a better odds of, of you know, energizing people across the state to vote, um, just like you do with a good presidential candidate. Uh, we talked about conservative organizing. What we didn't mention, and maybe we don't have time, but we're already kind of running a little long. I mean, it's the election, right? So I think it's okay. Right. Um, churches as an organizing body, as we've mentioned it on other podcasts, but like Mercy Culture in Fort Worth is straight up breaking federal law and endorsing candidates. Uh, and there's I got two articles below. One is from the Fort Worth Weekly, which is very good. And I just ah shout out to the Fort Worth Weekly, man. You guys are relentless oh, about what realist. these guys are doing, and I love it. Like every week, it's like new stuff about the Mercy Culture Church. Uh, didn't they get? Didn't their like Instagram or something get banned because yeah. they kept starting? That's that's amazing. Yes, but people are are screenshotting or, part, or I guess part of the multi church community and like screenshotting some of their stuff or, or taking photos or videos from sermons and then sending it to the Fort Worth Weekly. Um, they're doing illegal stuff, not to mention yeah. that this is like the fear mongering Christian, Christian fascism, you know, uh, Christian nationalism that we have already been talking about. Like it's that stuff. It is here in our city It is here in our county. These are the people who are taking like they are literally this organizing literally on political stuff. Did I print off the article? I printed off too many things today. Yeah, here it is. L literal yeah. Christian nationalist Nazi stuff. Yeah, exactly. And th this is Tim O'Hare, who just won our county. Um, this, is, this is him doing that. I have articles. We didn't get to this, but I have articles below of him talking about winning and what he's going to do and stuff that you can check that below. Um, 
him and uh, Phil Sorrells also have been on stage at the Mercy Culture Church. They Mercy Culture themselves has started a new organization that like is a pack, is a political action committee, an organization where they are trying to train congregants to become political candidates and push their agenda, essentially. Um, and so that's what they're going to be working on for the next. We need to be doing something similar, just not as uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Evil. Yeah. Yeah, and they, and that's what they're framing it as a fight for righteousness. They're like, we don't fight for the right or the left. We fight for righteousness, which means, and they, they don't. And they, they're the, fighting for the right. I don't remember if it was the Fort Worth Report article or the Fort Worth Weekly article, but one of them says they don't identify Catholics as Christians. They don't identify as Methodists or Lutherans or any other denomination of Christianity as Christians. They only identify non-denominational churches that kind of hold their specific values as Christians. So, um, so. For y'all that don't know about, uh, you know, Christian denominations, um, that's very interesting because here, here's the thing: you do have some legitimate non-denominational churches. Most of your non-denominational churches, if you look at their history, at some point, they were Baptist or Southern Baptist. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Southern, and I'm going to be clear about this: the term Southern does not refer to the fact that it's in the South. It refers to the fact that a group of people had a set of ideals in the South that included segregation, black people not having the right to vote, in some cases, women not being able to vote, shit like that, mm -hmm. okay? That is what they mean by non-denominational churches. That is what the hell is going on here. The reason they don't like the Methodists is because the Methodists are like a lot more friendly to that shit, okay? Yeah. Like, to give you a tale of two churches, uh... I grew up in Farmersville, Texas. Uh, I grew up in the, in the in the Methodist Church, the First United Methodist Church, and that same city is the First Baptist Church of Farmersville, whose pastor is now the president of the Southern Baptist, Baptist Convention, like nationwide. Um, and yes, when they say Southern, that's that's some of the but stuff they mean. mean. They've yeah. they've changed their messaging since then, obviously, but that's their past. Yeah. Um, one of the old pastors from that were at that was at First United Methodist Church of Farmersville is now the the pastor for the FUMC in Oakland, which is the Gaberhood in Dallas. Um, currently, there is a fight in the church, and luckily, I think the right side's winning, um, over whether or not to allow uh, gay members, or even in some cases, women in points of ministry. And they've they basically fought back against that pretty hard uh, about that not happening. Um, they just elected, I think, two gay members and a, and a woman as bishops, I think, something like that, uh, to double check. But that's, that's kind of the, the dynamic you're working with here. Yeah. Mercy culture is very much in the other, other thing. The reason they're saying, you know, we're not Catholic or Methodist or Lutheran is because they're they're showing that they're more friendly to the people and everything and far less oppressive, which if you're having to say that the Catholic Church is less oppressive, we've got problems. I'm sorry. There's an issue there, okay? Catholic Church should always be like the biggest asshole in the room. And I think that's, you know, that's historically been the case. And so I think that's the argument that they're making. And this is, again, you know, K the KKK was also <laughs> anti-Catholic also anti-Jewish, also anti-immigrant. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it, it's the same sort of thing. 
Uh, so I don't know. It's just that's another thing I guess that we just we, I wanted to mention in regards to the problems that we have in regards to solutions kind of real quick. Um, we need better candidates. We talked about that. We need to clean up our messaging. We kind of talked about that, explore some stuff with the border policy. We need better economic policy or a economic policy. And I think you talking about promoting worker co-ops or promoting ideas like that, that empower workers in the workplace or right to organize, which by the way, I meant to kind of talk about some of the victories around the, the country. Illinois has now enshrined the right to organize in their state constitution. They're the first state to do that. Um, so, or uh, unionize. Um, and so that's phenomenal. If we can get more states that, you know, Texas is the opposite, right? We're right to work state. But if we could start making headroads on that front, you know, Texas workers are exploited almost more than a lot of other ones in other countries because we have so little restrictions on that. That's something we could talk about. Um, peace pre precinct chairs and party participation. We need to increase that. And again, it's hard to get people excited about that stuff when the parties as you know, the, the national party is that it's as inept as it is. My experience in the local Tarrant County party has been heartening and inspiring, and I'm actually excited to do more. I'm looking forward to using my district, District 99, uh, and trying to see what I can do. I'm going to look and see if I can actually impact the data between this election and the next election and see what happens. It'll be cool to actually see an improvement. Uh, and so I encourage you, listener, like check out what precinct you're in. See if you have a precinct chair. I'll provide a link below. I need to add a note for that. Provide a link, link below to where you can do that. Um, and if you don't have one, just take one up. Even if you can't do, you know, these are, these are all volunteer positions. Everyone's got their lives going on. There is no expectation for you to do everything. And, and you know, but there, it would be nice to do something. Anything will help, um, as we kind of demonstrated. And then register voters, register more voters. We talked about that. Now, finally, last website that I posted, I want to talk about a couple of different options of in regards to how to vote and voting systems. Because we have this first-past-the-poll system. Um, it's not the only one. There's actually a lot of other ones. Um, and you and I, Thomas, have talked about ranked choice voting before. Um, yeah. And uh, what's her name up in Alaska? Uh, Sarah Palin. She lost her primary a couple of months ago. Uh, and, and Alaska now has ranked choice voting. So we're seeing Good time. It's good yeah, time. Yeah. So we're seeing that come up. If you don't, I have a link below at the bottom of the thing. That's a, that's a the uh, National Conference of State Legislatures website, and they have information about different types of voting systems. So they explain ranked choice voting, which is essentially picking first, second, third, fourth, fifth place for what you want. When the election happens, everybody's first place goes against everybody's first place. Uh, if you end up in a runner off type scenario, runoff type scenario, then you go to people's second and third choices and run the math on those. Uh, this is a way that you can still get someone that you liked, even if it wasn't your first pick. This is kind of for primaries. You know, that makes more sense for a primary. Other things that I didn't know about. There's other things, too. Um, there's something that is called an approval voting system, which essentially just lets you choose multiple candidates and you pick who you approve of and who you don't approve of. Um, and those who get the highest number of votes or percentages essentially win. But because of this, you can kind of get like more than 100% of votes or something, the way the math works. And so the what they say, I'll read from the little thing, quote, supporters argue that the system better represents the degree of support for third parties. Uh, it makes the system more resistant to tactical voting or having third parties take away votes from major party candidates and may lead to the election of more moderate candidates. So this is the problem with the third parties in our current system. Third parties never win, but they always take the percentage of one of the other parties uh, when 
Teddy Roosevelt ran in the Bull Moose Party, the Progressive Party, in 1912. He split the Republican vote, and Woodrow Wilson won the election. When Ross Perot ran as a third-party libertarian against George Bush Sr. and Bill Clinton in 1992, he split, as a libertarian, split the Republican vote. Bill Clinton won. So, like, it, the third parties never win, but they pull support from another party. So what this approval voting system would do would kind of take away that and perhaps give more power to third parties because they would be also selected too if people approve of them. So you could approve of like people from multiple parties. However, on the opposite side, opponents contend that approval voting may be vulnerable to strategic voting, is hardly used in competitive elections for this reason, and could result in candidates that receive the first choice support of more than 50% of the voters losing to a candidate without a single first choice supporter. So there's some weird wonkiness that could happen. It's not good for, quote, close elections, they say. There's another thing that I was recently introduced to. Uh, um, oh, man, I was going to give a shout out. I'm totally blanking on your name, sir. Uh, at the last DSA meeting, uh, we had a guy who brought up proportional representation, and I'd never heard of this before, and he was kind of explaining it. I'm like, this actually sounds pretty cool. Um, and it's not everywhere, not used in the United States, but it is used in countries like Asia, Africa, and Australia, South America, and Europe. All of those continents have countries that have you know, used or currently use proportional representation. I like how we're like America's best, you know, we're the best country in the world and we're always behind. Right. Like, yeah. And giving a subject, we're behind by like a lot, like a lot, a lot. So, oh, I guess, so it's not at the national level, but apparently in locat, we have a hundred localities across the country uh, that, do this multi-member district. So what this is, is essentially it turns any district where there's one person running it into a multiple person district. So you essentially end up with councils instead of an executive. Uh, And so the percentage, if you got five people in the district, you know, thing, then if you get 20%, if one, like the Republicans get 20%, the Democrats get, you know, 60% and like the libertarians or the green party get 20%, then like you get seats based into the proportion. So it's like, it's, it is literally a more democratic way to elect these things. Now this would make everything way more complicated because you're essentially adding more democracy to it. You're letting five people make the decision for something instead of just one person. But in regards to representation, like it's actually kind of how we were talking earlier, if you have 51% of the votes, you still got 49% of people who felt one way, but they're just excluded, right? They just don't get a part of the system. I don't like it. It sounds like communism. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like democracy, right? Like, and that's, that's what socialism is. It's democracy in the workplace, in the economy, as well as in the government. Like that's literally what socialism is and or communism. Communism being the, you know, communism hopes to, in a perfect world, get rid of the government at the end of the day. Um, that's never happened. We've never seen that happen, but ideally that would be the case. So like, yeah, you're kind of right, Thomas, like this is spreading it around a little bit more sharing's caring, right? So if you're part of that 20% who voted for the libertarian, you get one person to represent your 20%. Oh, I was saying that cause communism is scary to me and it's different from anything I've seen. So it must be bad. I know. I know. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I don't know. This seems cool to me. Like, uh, I'd never heard of this before, but it's like, we have it. We have a city council. Right. It's like not just the mayor who makes the decision. It's the mayor who sits on the council with the rest of the council. It's kind of like that for every precinct or for every district. So I don't know how we would do this for Congress. Right. Like we would have. Five people representing a seat in Congress or something like that in this hypothetical that I have. 
but this could be used very easily for local elections or state elections. Um, so again, this is another way we can go about doing things. Also, they have the electoral college, which doesn't affect the state, but does affect us at the federal national level. Like that's a broken system we need to get rid of. How can we get rid of that? Well, there's multiple ways we could go about doing that. There's the article five resolution, which we essentially get 36 states across the country to sign on to an article five convention. We have a state, we have a convention of the states to add an amendment to the constitution and we change the constitution with an amendment, which by the way, we're overdue for amendments. We're overdue for many amendments. It's been over 40 years since we've had a new amendment. We've got 26. If you don't know, we're supposed to constantly update our constitution. We haven't done that. So this is one way we could do that. We could have Congress do it, but Congress isn't going to decide anything right now, right? So who can do it? The states can do it. We've got, last I checked, which was a couple of years ago, last I checked, we had 11 states that have signed on, I think, um, that have signed on for this Article 5 convention. If we hit that 36 number, then we can have that convention where the states hold a hold a convention and have a delegation and they decide how what are, what are we going to change on the constitution and some people how who many are state legislatures are still republican right now though that's my issue yeah like, I don't want, great question i don't want those motherfuckers making that decision because yeah like i said democrats look down and joe biden you know not to give him any credit at all but he is the first guy I've heard talking about, you know, top down, middle out. I mean, uh, bottom, bottom up, middle out. But yeah, yeah. that's and, kind of how Republicans function politically versus how Democrats function. Yeah, you're right. And they do have there are more state legislators that are Republican and the Republicans aren't on board for this. They don't want a convention. Um, and so they would the 11 states that well, they say they do as long as it's stuff they want. Yeah, but they don't they don't actually want one. I mean, they don't need one right now because they got the Supreme Court on their side. Supreme, Supreme exactly. Court will rewrite all these laws anyways, which is what that's what they're doing. Um, so, yeah. So all of this convoluted, I guess the last thing I'll, I'll maybe close with, and obviously, Thomas, if you got anything else, jump in here. Um, but this system is what it is. It's obviously broken. And as someone who's doing a podcast on electoralism, like, obviously, I think it's worth our time and energy to work within the system while it's here but that doesn't mean that i own that thing i think this is the only solution uh i don't think this is the only thing we should be doing and we should be exploring other options as well outside of the system um and that can be you know kind of that based on this conversation i had with nathan you know like the anarchistic communistic and by, by commune but i mean uh you know uh mutual aid type stuff where you were literally helping each other on a person to person basis as a, as a community member and as a human being to a human being outside of the government. Uh, and maybe exploring ways that if things do end up bad, if we do end up kind of like how I started off the podcast with Dan Harmon saying, you know, if we are falling into fascism, which in this state, I feel like we're headed that way. I don't know. I don't know about the country for a whole, but here, Florida, other parts of the South, um, we are. And so like, if that's going on, then there are other things that we could be and should be doing as well. I don't want to make it sound like that voting is the end all be all. It only works when people believe it works. And when this, when you, when it's achievable, if the system makes it unachievable for us to make change democratically, then they leave no other option. And that's not a place where we want to be. Uh, and I don't think we're there yet, but I think it is a possibility. It is in the cards, maybe. Uh, it could be in the cards. So 
you know, I just want to be realistic and want us to start, you know, really thinking about this stuff. People who are saying like, I'm moving, like I've seen a bunch of people like I should consider moving or we're thinking about moving. Um, like, I don't want to tell somebody what to do with their life. You do what's best for you and your family. Right. Um, but that's going to make the state worse. And if you're gone, maybe you don't care. That's fine. But like, this is how when people flee because they're scared, then it accelerates the process because there is no resistance to that change. Um, And so like, that's like, if you, and the other thing, it's a fucking privilege to be able to leave. Most people can't. And so like, I'm not going to judge you if you can, right? Like good, good for you or whatever, but there's a lot of people who can't and aren't going to have the luxury of the freedom or the ability to get out of the situation who are going to fall victim to what comes if fascism comes. And so like, for those people, you know, start making plans, start organizing, start getting a network and a community together, because like the only way we can stop this from from going bad is to like actually use the mechanisms, the political machine mechanisms that we have available to us now, use them to the best of our ability to like change this. Because if we don't, if we keep not voting, if we keep not doing anything, um, then it is going to break. People are not going to be represented. People are not going to be feel empowered in the system and they're going to stop believing in the system. And when people stop believing in the system, it breaks. Um, and then who knows what comes after that? Like it could be a socialist utopia. I think the more likely thing is like where it's already going. Like you're more likely to see a a dictatorship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we already have, I know Americans don't like to look at the rest of the world, but we've got examples all over the world of this happening, you know, 50 years ago, 10 years ago, this year, you know, a hundred years ago, take your pick. Um, you know, I was just talking about the, the, uh, the revolution of Iran in 1979 to my students. And like, that's, they used to be a democracy. Women used to have rights. They could wear whatever they want. Yeah. The United States intervened. We assassinated their leader. And then they have a conservative revolution that is like, you know, a a theocracy. They now have their Supreme leader and they they, care about the shit that's going on in Iran. Yeah. hundred percent. Oh my God, dude. They're, they're, they're executing. About 15,000 people who are protesting. Yeah. And they're most of them are women. And the whole yeah, protest. They're is, gonna, yeah. They're going to fucking sexually assault them before they kill them so they can't get into heaven. I'm like, yeah. That and, is. And, and like this, you know, they've been, they've been under super oppression for a long time and they're fed up with it. If you go to the Wikipedia page for Iran, like they've been having unrest for over a decade now. There's like a dozen of so protests that you could just kind of group together all as one long, decade long protest if you want. And those are the guys where where Trump was like, oh, you know what? These guys should have nukes because Obama made that nuke deal. Yeah, which is just, you know, more sanctions on them, harder for the people that are living there, you know, does nothing to change the government or the system there. But the people are are fed up. And so they had a George Floyd moment, just like we did. A young girl was killed by the police uh, and it, it was the spark that ignited the fire. And they've been going, I think, six weeks, seven weeks strong now. And yeah. Thousands of women have died. Thousands of people have died, um, but they're not backing down. And so this. Yeah, no, those executions are just going to make shit worse. Yeah, you're going to have they're going to lose people in their ranks who are like, I'm not doing this anymore. Exactly. And that's kind of where they're at. People are fed up. And when people are fed up, that's when it's dangerous. That's when the people realize their power. That's when people use their power. Um, But again, like once that once that revolution starts, once that spark is lit, you know, what is the Marx quote? Revolution comes like a thief in the night. Like you have to be ready. You have to be organized. 
you have to be ready for the moment. If you're not ready, then it's very possible things are going to go in the other direction. There's no clue who's going to turn out on top. It's just like a fucking football game. Anything can happen all Sunday, man. Anything can fucking happen when, when that happens. Uh, and so you don't ever want that to happen. You don't, you want like, this is to listener. Like I'm telling you, this is my bias is my opinion, but like you want the democracy to work. You really do because and and to make it work, you got to participate in it because if it doesn't work, then shit's going to get crazy. And who the fuck knows, you know? So I don't know. What do you, what do you think of all that, buddy? I think that people need to pay more attention because you're absolutely right. Um, democracy is better. But I also think that every now and then revolution is good because you get fuckers like, like the people we have now thinking they can do whatever the hell they want. Yeah, you're right. No, if you if you zoom out really long just, enough, I really just want someone to 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 throw shit shit at Ted Cruz again. Okay, that's <laughs> that's where I'm at. Uh, yeah, no, I hear you on like, that. Like free free my homie. He did nothing wrong. Okay, I know you're joking, like, but at the if same I'm this time, man, you're, if you're I'm right. this man's attorney, I'm like, who the fuck wouldn't throw the shit at this guy? Everybody hates it. It makes me happy how everybody in America hates Ted Cruz. Like every there's just more and more videos of him going to different big events and people just throwing shit at him or, or booing him or whatever. It makes me happy. But no, I think you're right. Zoom out far enough and like revolutions are a necessity for change. You know? Uh, so you, you're you right. We can't be blind about that ever, ever being a possibility or try and prevent that from ever, ever happening. Um, but in the short term and the now for, for my life and your life and those of us alive here in this current moment, um, that's a scary thing, right? We, and for, for our own hides, I, I would not, you know, want, want us to go to that route. But again, we need to be, uh, we need to keep our eyes open and our minds open and realize what is possible and realize and learn history and know history. That's why it's so important to know history. Cause if you've seen what can happen, if you know what has happened, um, you know, you can plan and prepare yourself for these things. You can make good decisions in your life to, to help yourself and your loved ones out or whatever. But yeah, man. I don't know. I didn't mean to get it on a dark turn at the very end, but yeah, I think I think we all need some thinking to do and a lot of work to do. Like we we got work to do. And if you're listening, I know that you care more than most people in our community. And so I hope you hear this, and I hope it is inspiring to you to at least like know that you can do something. If we know how bad and how dismal and how low the participation is, that's a down note, but it could be an up note because like the margin for change is very small. It only takes a little bit of people doing a little bit, which adds up to a lot, which can actually cause change. So it's, it is possible. It is doable. Um, we can't be, you know, disheartened and, and dismotivated and, and like, we got to do it cause we can't do it. Cause we really have no other choice. Like we have to. Mm-hmm. So, <sighs> so yeah, man, I don't know. I think that's all I got. You got anything? <laughs> Nope, nope. Okay. I think we hit all the points. Okay. Well, hit us up. Hit us up on on. The, I almost said Facebook. We're not on Facebook. Don't use Facebook. Get off of Facebook. That's a bad thing. Don't don't get off of it. Maybe get off Twitter too. I don't know. We're on there though. You can hit us up at FW. No, get on Twitter, but impersonate people to make pe- people and in public accounts to make their stock prices go there down. You go. That's you know what you want to make some that's real change. What, Throw in that's some eight dollars. Twitter is yeah. for now. Eight bucks for a for a fake account can go a long way these days. That's that's for sure. So yeah, I um, I think I'm gonna try and write a piece about this. Maybe uh, I don't know, three, four, five pages, 
to kind of just help myself process all of this information that we've kind of we really only talked about a little bit of it, but like there's a lot, there's a lot that's come out of this election. So I'm gonna put that up. Journal. Journaling's important. Journaling is important, but we also got the Substack. So Thomas, you too, if you put anything down on paper, regardless of how long or short, if you want to put it out there on the Substack, like let's do that. I, I want to start putting out more content on there. I also think it'll help us just kind of figure totally. out. Some yeah, stuff, I can do that. Know? So sweet, awesome. So subscribe to our Substack. That thing's down down in the doobly doo below also. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. If you made it to the end, if you made it two hours into this thing, thank you. We love you. And we do. Love and solidarity, and more power to you. And we, we're gonna we're gonna do some awesome fucking shit here in the next two years. Like, let's do some fucking awesome shit. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs>